0: Again, welcome to Life Church. Great to have you here today. Yeah, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's an honor to be able to speak this weekend in Pastor Aaron's absence. And he wishes you well today. He's actually many of you probably maybe even saw it on social media, but he is uh, graduating in Tulsa, Oklahoma, from Oral Roberts University uh, with a Master's in Theology. Yeah. We actually have a picture all the way from Tulsa. And it's a pretty huge accomplishment, and so in all in all sincerity, man, make sure you say congratulations to Pastor Aaron when you see him next, and I also hear that gift cards are acceptable and appropriate for times like this, but he didn't say that, I said that, and uh, he, he also won't tell you that he... Uh, uh, graduated 4.0, top of his class, summa cum laude, so it's a pretty, pretty big honor, pretty big accomplishment, but that's where he is uh, this weekend. But this weekend, uh, we're not in a sermon series. Typically, probably 95% of the time, we are in a sermon series where we're talking about a specific Topic or something like that for several weeks. This is a standalone message, and so that's always dangerous for me because it's it's hard for me to like focus in on one thing. So this week was very difficult trying to put it all together and try to narrow my focus a little bit. But I do feel uh, strongly that um, today will be a word of encouragement and challenge uh, for us all today. And today I want to talk to you about what does it look like to live an effective life. What does it look like to live an effective Life and uh, growing up, you always heard the question. Um, I heard it so many times, and actually, I remember like getting annoyed a little bit as a little kid because people would ask, like teachers, Sunday school teachers, uh, your parents, they'd ask you constantly, "What do you want to be?" When you grow up? You guys remember that question? Uh, maybe somebody's still asking you that question. Some of our students here in, in high school and stuff, you're tra- that's starting to ramp up a little bit. And what do you want to be when you grow up? And show of hands, how many of you wanted to be something in the medical field, like a doctor or a dentist, something like that, chiropractor, all right? Uh, how many of you wanted to be like a teacher? Any, any, lot of teachers, okay? What about... Uh, like a fire uh, civil servant a firefighter police officer anything like that any farmers all right that was like my worst nightmare that I was going to be a farmer because I just was never a big fan of that my grandpa uh, had a farm and so we'd go spend a week there every year that was enough for me I just uh, the constant feel of I just I I like things clean anyway um, (laughs) that's just me Anybody else? Anybody want to shout out? What did you want to be when you grew up? Anybody? Engineer. Okay, we had somebody uh, Saturday say uh, smart and good looking or something like that. Um, I heard somebody say mom over here. Um, I wanted to be a professional athlete uh, when I was a kid. I mean, that was like my go-to, and I didn't necessarily pick a specific sport because I wanted to keep my options open, you know what I'm talking about? Like, just in case, I don't know where these talents will take me. Uh, I don't know why you're laughing, but anyway. Uh, so I wanted to be a professional athlete, and so um, those dreams officially came to an end on Friday. I know, um, you know, it it seems like, Ryan, why didn't you wake up sooner? But uh, I thought maybe this pastor thing was just a stepping stone to the NBA. You know what I'm talking (laughs) about? I'm just kidding. Uh, But on Friday, I turned 31, and that in and of itself had nothing to do with dashing my dreams for professional athleticism. Uh, It was actually that on Friday, two things happened that made me realize this is never going to happen. Number one, I was watching the NFL draft. Anybody watch the NFL draft? Any other nerds in the room today? Yeah? Okay, so I was watching the NFL draft, and um, and so watching it, and they put a statistic on the screen that says 28.3, maybe some of you saw this, is the average age of the players on the New Orleans Saints. I was thinking, okay, that's not so bad. I'm, I'm not even three years older than the average player on that team. And then the next line, this really did it for me. This is what ended my career. It said, They are the oldest team in the NFL, and so I'm like, okay, great, and so the second thing that happened is it was my, uh, we were having a little party at my house with family, and so we, um, I had gotten a basketball hoop. That was my birthday present. I was pretty excited about it. I know it sounds childish, but it's awesome. Don't judge me. But it, man, I put in this basketball hoop, and that's another story for another day, installing this thing. Uh, But anyway, it's still standing 36 hours later. That's all that matters. Uh, But we put in this basketball hoop, and my brother and I decide, hey, let's have a dunk contest, okay? And I remember in high school, I mean, like, I could touch the rim, and um, every once in a while, if I was feeling it, you know, and I, like, pump up my shoes an extra four or five times, I could maybe sort of throw down a small ball, okay, like the, like the little tiny ones. It wasn't pretty, but I made contact with the rim, and the ball went in the hoop, so that's all, it kind of counts as a dunk, and so, uh, so my brother and I are doing this, and we realized really quickly, and he could touch the rim too in high school, all of that, uh, that, um neither one of us can even come close to touching the rim anymore. And he's 35, well, he's about to turn 35 now. And uh, I, we, we both managed to barely dunk on nine feet. And we realized, you know what, this is just... People told me that once you get into your 30s, stuff is going to start to hurt. Um, that's, that's just what I was told. And I was like, whatever. It was the first time in my life that I actually felt like I can't do... What I used to be able to do and uh, landing, I'm just telling you something in my knee is going to burst pretty quickly here. I don't know what's going on, but it doesn't feel good. Um, Something's going on. But anyway, I'll just tell you, you know, the whole things are going to start to hurt is a real thing. I mean... (laughs) I mulched our, we put, like, I did the edging and it took me two days. It was crazy. I'm a bit of a perfectionist and I started a project that I had to finish, type of thing. And so, anyway, I, I did this long, just terrible project and might have a hernia. I don't know. Like, that's, that's <laughs> debatable, but too much information. So, anyway, what do you want to be when you grow up? Not going to be a professional athlete anymore. Uh, my middle son, Benjamin, and uh, if you know Ben, he's just the sweetest kid in the world, uh, he's got this thing figured out. And by the way, just while we're on topic, he it, come November, he's going to become one of two middle children in our family. And so um, I, all the women already understand what I'm talking about. All the guys, just you know, like we're expecting our fourth child uh, come November. And uh, I understand the there's, nobody even clap because um, you're kind of like, at one or two, it's, it's manageable. When you start having three or four, people start looking at you like, that's one way to live your life, you know, like, <laughs> and if I have one, per- one more person who asks, you know how that happens, right? Um, <laughs> clearly I do. I will leave it at that. <laughs> what do you want to be when you grow up? Back, back on topic. My son. Uh, He's almost five years old. He has this thing figured out because he's not just limited to one thing. If you ask him, he'll say, or lately, he'll say, I want to be a farmer on Tuesdays, I'm going to be a pilot on Wednesdays, and I'm going to be a pastor Thursday through Monday, okay? And so he's got this thing nailed. If he can do that, that would be a pretty incredible life, but um, I think it's a flawed question, okay? Okay? I think it's a, at, at the core of it, it insinuates some things that, and I understand what, what, what we're going for. We're talking about what do you want do, to do, do professionally when you grow up. I, I get the question, but I think a far greater question to ask, because it, it almost suggests that life is a destination. You know, that once you get to this point, it's kind of like, okay, I wanted to be a doctor, I am a doctor, now what? You know, like what, what do you do after that? I think a far greater question to ask would be, What do you want your life to look like? You know, not what do you want to be when you grow up. What do you want your life to look like? I think part of that would be profession. You know, that's definitely part of what you want your life to look like. But it's far more broad than that. It's far greater than that. What type of person do you want to be? What do you want to be said of you someday? I saw this quote on Twitter, I think, something this past week. It said, uh, what do you want to be thanked for Later in life, I think Andy Stanley said it. I, I remember seeing it somewhere. What do you want to be thanked for? You know, what is it that? What do you want your life to look like? We all need to ask ourselves that question. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter sixteen. If you have your Bibles, that's where we're going to spend our time today. But First Corinthians chapter sixteen, the Apostle Paul. I, I believe we get a little window into his life. And we get a lot of these windows all throughout the New Testament. You kind of, out of anybody in the Bible, I mean, we might know more. Aside from Jesus, we, we know more about Paul than anybody else. And you could almost argue that we know more about Paul than we do about Jesus because his life is just like we just, at least after his conversion, we, we, he, just, he wrote half the New Testament. You just know a lot about his life. And every once in a while, you get a little window into the way Paul lived his life. Paul lived an incredible life. And if there's anybody that that we should want to live a life similar to, aside from Jesus himself, which we never can attain uh, that level of life, it it would be Paul. Paul lived an incredibly effective life. 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 16, starting in verse 5. It's going to be on the screens. Here's what it says. It says, After I go through Macedonia... I will come to you for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and only make a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost. And then this is the key verse, verse 9. Because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. If you are an underline type person or a highlight person or a circle person in your Bible, underline, circle, highlight that word, effective. Paul lived an effective life. I think that's probably the best adjective to describe the way he lived his life. And he doesn't just say, I, I, you know, there's a work for me that's open, an, an open door for work has opened to me uh, in, in Ephesus. He doesn't say that. He says a, a door for effective work has opened to me. This word effective is a is a little Greek word. It's only found three times in all of Scripture. It's the Greek word energes, uh, which simply means effective, productive of due result, at work, active. It's, a, it's an active type of word. Uh, another place that it's found in is, is in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, relatively famous verse where it says that the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. That word active is the same exact word going on here. It's basically saying effective. Having good results. Active. That's the type of life that Paul lived. And I think it's interesting that he clarifies. He doesn't just say, you know, again, he doesn't just say, you know, I can go do this great work. He says, I have an open door for effective. Work. It must also mean that there can be ineffective work. For there to be effective work, there also has to be ineffective work. You know, every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction type of thing. So there's, I think we probably can identify a little bit more with what ineffective looks like sometimes than what effective uh, looks like. In fact, this past week was a, uh, preparing for this message, and I was talking to a family member and kind of sharing, you know, this is kind of what I'm going to uh, preach about, and they came across some pictures, and I thought I'd share one with you today, of what ineffective looks like, and so let's go ahead and show the first picture here. That sign says, keep gate closed, if you're in the back, Um, pretty ineffective. Okay, next picture. All the guys are saying that, that, that's, literally one of my top five greatest fears right there is that I will do that to my lawn um, so I don't do my own fertilizing anymore because I was like I just it's not worth destroying my lawn over okay next picture this is not a door all right next one that's something that I would do right there by the way on, on the basketball hoop that we in, that I installed um, there were a couple of steps that said this step is irreversible that's like the scariest thing you can, you can read as somebody who's not very handy. And so anyway, uh, next step, or next picture. Kind of see what's going on here. Which arrow do they want me to follow? It's, it's kind of unclear. It's ineffective. Next picture. You see the Macintosh sign. Looks like Barnes and & Noble. And if you notice, all the books are windows underneath. Not as funny on that one, okay. Next, next picture. All right, if you see what's going on here... At first glance, you'd make the argument that this could actually be effective <laughs> until you do the math and realize that they're a little off in their math, should be 35, 86. I don't know if anyone has wanted to do that. Don't do it. It's not nice. It's not a good Christian thing to do. Uh, anyway, we all know what ineffective looks like, and I think there's times in our life where we can all identify, okay, that was, I, wasn't, I was living ineffectively. But on the flip side... I want to live an effective life. And Paul, I believe, maybe more than anybody, had this figured out. Wasn't perfect, had flaws, certainly, but he certainly lived an effective life. There's a few things that we see in this passage of scripture, and they're not, again, I don't think Paul meant to to necessarily reveal these things. It wasn't like he listed out, hey, if you want to live an effective life, just do this, this, and this. It's Man, sometimes I wish it could be that simple, but it's not. But you get a picture from Paul of what he did to be effective. What, what, what went into that? What were the elements of living an effective life? The first one is real simple. It's this, an effective life is a strategic life. An effective life is a strategic life. When you read through this passage of Scripture, also if you read through almost anything Paul wrote, Paul always had a plan, like, he was never just like, man, whatever happens today happens. You know, he, he wasn't just roaming around leading people to Christ. I mean, he had this passion for people to experience the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. He had a, a passion to preach Christ and Christ crucified. He had a passion just to preach about the resurrection and see people come to faith in Christ. That was a passion of his, but that wasn't his, his strategy. didn't just end there, just, well, I'm just going to tell as many people as I possibly can. He actually had a plan. He had a strategy. You can read through scripture here, but he, he you know he goes to Macedonia, and then he goes to Ephesus. I mean he, he's, he goes to all these places, and if you really read through the New Testament, Paul planted fourteen churches in the New Testament in major metropolitan areas. There was a pl- I mean he was always strategizing. he was always like, okay we'll go here and we'll raise up these leaders and we'll start this church then then we'll go over here for a little while then I'll I'll write to this church over here and then I mean it was if you read through it, it's almost hard to keep up with. You're like, Paul, you are, like, this guy accomplished a ton in his life, it's but, but it's because he had a plan. He had a strategy. He was like, I'm not just going to sit around. I'm going to figure out how I can be the most effective, how I can reach the most people possible. This doesn't happen on accident. And in our, life, in our lives, it's, it's not going to happen on accident. For us to be effective, that doesn't just happen it comes through having a plan. It comes through strategizing. Now, let me give you an example, um, because there's a person in my life that I think has probably lived one of the most effective lives of anybody that I know, and um, it, and I, I see that in his life he was strategic. It was my grandfather, and he was a a pastor for many many years, fifty plus years, planted churches, all of that. But in his 80s, he's retired minister at the time. And uh, he's working as a, uh, he did like maintenance and security and things like that at a little strip mall in Minnesota. And so there was like a Home Depot and a Rainbow Foods and some other stores and things like that. And he would just maintain it, make sure that everything was in good working order. Put in a ton of hours, probably way more hours than he got paid for. And I remember talking to him and saying, Grandpa, why do you do that? Like, he didn't do it because he needed extra money. In fact, that wasn't the problem at all. It wasn't, it wasn't for an income. I mean, sure, it might have been nice, but that's not, that's not at all why he did it. Um, in fact, I found out later, I mean, I don't think they lived on a penny that he, that he made from there. It wasn't because um, he just needed to fill the day with hours. I mean, he needed to figure out something to do so he didn't dra- drive my grandma crazy, although I bu- bet that probably helped the sanity of the home a little bit for him because he's kind of a busybody type of guy. But he said, you know what, Ryan, I my entire life has been about leading people to Christ that's just he got saved by a street preacher in uh Slayton Minnesota on uh June 23rd I'm blanking on the date like 1946 I believe he was 19 years old and he uh he got saved radically saved and from that day forward, I mean, it was like a Saul, a Paul-type experience. From that day forward, I'm going to lead people to Christ. That's what he did. That's what he devoted his life to. And so he did it through planting churches and things like that. He pastored churches. But in his 80s, you could tell that he still was living this strategy. He, he still, it wasn't, his time's not done. And literally until the day he died, he was leading people to Christ. And... He said, I need to be at that mall because I need to see people that need Jesus. I need to be rubbing shoulders with people who need hope. And the coolest thing happened um, the day after his funeral. My, my parents and I and some cousins, we actually uh, went to go fulfill his duties for that weekend. We were going to pick up all the trash and make sure everything was in good condition, make sure everything was, was, was running well because um, he, he, he died very tragically, very suddenly, and so uh, there was a number of people that came up to us as they saw us doing that, that said, uh, Ben Timms was your dad, or grandpa, or whatever it was, I said yes, they said, I'll never forget, just every time I came to this mall, he was there smiling, he was there I mean, he talked to everybody. Everybody knew who he was. He led people to Christ. There were people at his funeral that said, your dad, your grandpa led me to Christ in that parking lot. I mean, it was just incredible to see. He lived a strategic life. An effective life is a strategic life. Second thing that we see here, and it kind of goes somewhat hand in hand, it's this balance between the two. An effective life is a surrendered Life. An effective life, first of all, it's a strategic life, but it's also a surrendered life. It's a life that says, Yes, I have a plan, I have a strategy. I feel like God is in my plan, in my strategy. I feel like it is a God breathed strategy. At the same time, God, whatever you want. If you change the direction, I will follow. It's kind of like Paul wrote his plans in pencil, you know? Like, I got this plan, but God—and you see it throughout Scripture. There's many times, I believe it's in Acts chapter 16, uh, somewhere where where Paul is going to a certain location, and, G- and God steps in and says, "No, no, no, you're not going there. You're going here." And see, okay, okay, God, fine, I will go this direction. Wherever you lead, I will follow. And it sounds almost contradictory to to say. To live a strategic life where you have a plan and a plan of attack. And to live a surrendered life where you're saying, God, whatever you want me to do. But they work together. In fact, the book of Proverbs chapter 16, in, uh, in verse 9, it says that man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his path. The Lord, another translation said, the Lord directs his steps. They, it's not an either or, it's a both and. And. Paul lived a surrendered life. I'm going to read this again, verses 5 through 7, and put some emphasis on a few of the words. You're going to see here how Paul really, really did this very well. It says, After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and only make a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. Paul was kind of like, you know what? This is my plan, but God could change it at any moment, and I'm totally cool with that. He lived a surrendered life. Why did Paul live a surrendered life? I, I believe a large part of it is is because he audibly heard God and he physically saw Jesus I mean it was uh, if you read through his conversion story he was actually his name was Saul and he was uh, he, he actually murdered Christians that was his, I mean he was anti-God I mean he was just totally opposed to Christianity he tried to stop it and then one day there's a, a beam of light that knocks him to the ground actually he's temporarily blinded uh, for two or for three days Jesus speaks to him I mean can you imagine I mean, I think I'd I'd, I'd turn my life around too. I mean, I'd be like, oh my goodness, okay, I'm, yes, what do you need me to do? So God for Paul is that real. It it was an intense wake-up call for him. And so he says, you know what? Whatever you say, wherever you go, I will follow. Do you live that kind of life that's surrendered? That where you're in tune to the voice of God, where you actually are saying, God, how do you want me to handle this? I was talking to somebody, uh, This past, actually it was two weeks ago now, uh, that they were asking for advice on, on their job situation and things like that. I remember saying, hey, have you, let's let's pray about it. Have you prayed about it? Have you asked God? Sometimes it's, it seems like that's the last place that, that we look when God is saying, no, no, let me be a part of everything that you do. Every day when you wake up, let me guide you. Let me direct you your path that the let the word of god be a light unto our path just as it says that it would be would you let me lead you and let me have control would you truly surrender to me i want to live that kind of life i want to live a surrendered life i don't think you can live a surrendered life you might ask how do you live a surrendered life what does that look like i don't i think it is absolutely impossible unless you know the voice of god unless you truly know where he's leading, how he moves, like, do you really, do you, do you understand, when God tries to get your attention, do you, do you see it, do you hear it? I don't think you can do that unless you spend time with him. I, I and gr- growing up, to be honest with you, I always thought that read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. You guys remember that song that you'd sing in Sunday school? Anybody? I'm the only one, okay. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. I used to think that it was just like by osmosis. Like, if I just do this checklist and read my Bible, pray, God's going to bless me, and it's going to be all good. And it's not that way at all. You read the Bible, you pray, not because you have to, but because you want to know the voice of God. That's the only way you're going to know what God is saying You'll know his character by reading his word and you'll know his voice by communicating with him. It's got to be an everyday thing. It's got to be a consistent thing. An effective life is a strategic life. It's a surrendered life. Lastly, an effective life is a surrounded life. An effective life is a surrounded life. And I think it's real important not to miss this point because I think you can do the first two and if you don't do the last one, you run the risk of honestly sometimes living a very weird and isolated life. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people that, that claim to be surrendered to God and they're just like, man, I'll just go wherever. I'm gonna quit my job one day. I'm gonna go here. And it seems like they're going all over the place. But sometimes you need people in your life that will help keep you grounded. You need people in your life that will say, hold up, time out. What's your plan? How are you going to do that? I mean not naysayers, but you need people that are maybe further along in life that say, "Okay, hold on, let me let me let's talk through this a little bit. It's going to be okay." You need people that are going to encourage you. You need people that are going to admonish you. The book of Colossians talks about which basically means call you out from time to time, point out your blind spots. Like you need we need people in our life that are going to do that. And Paul did this better than anybody that I can find an example of in scripture. Jesus did it too. He surrounded himself with the 12 disciples. I mean, that's very intentional. He didn't do that on accident. That's Honestly, that's how Jesus was so effective. It was, uh, it, it was that those disciples took it and then ran with it after he had already you know, left this earth. An effective life is a surrounded life. I'm going to read the following verses, and it's the next eight or so verses after uh, verse nine that we just read. And you're going to see here a little bit that Paul absolutely was, he was doing life with people. He was rubbing shoulders with people constantly. And that led, that, that's why he was so effective. That was a key contributor. It says this, When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I'm expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, another guy, I strongly urged him to go with you to the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will do, will go when he has the opportunity. Be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus, another person, where the first convert, first converts in Achaia, and they had devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and in every... And to everyone who joins the work and labors in it, I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunus, Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking for you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. And if you keep reading the next few verses, he talks about two more people, Aquila and Priscilla, and how much they've meant to him and been an encouragement to him. And so in this one chapter, you see seven people that Paul talks about. And Paul is living life with saying, hey, man, Timothy, make sure, you, make sure you, you're good to him. Apollos, make sure you meet him. He's, he's awesome. Uh, Stephanus, Fortunus, uh, Achaicus, Aquila, Priscilla, all these crazy names. But, uh, you know, make sure, man, these are people that have been so instrumental in my life. You see even a more pointed example in Romans chapters, uh, chapter 16, verses 1 through 6. It's six verses, and it's, it's, it's a passage of scripture that I came across a couple of months ago and in my daily quiet time, and I, I was reading it, and it was one of those that, to be honest with you, I wanted to skip. Like, I don't know if, uh, maybe you guys are more spiritual than I am, but when you come across like a genealogy or a list of names in scripture, it's like, what am I going to get out of this? And so it was one of those types of moments. Maybe that's just me, but uh, forgive me. But God got my attention in those six verses, and he said, look at how many people Paul surrounded himself With. There's 28 people that he's thankful for, 28 people that are pouring their life into him, 28 people that he's living life with. Paul surrounded himself with other surrendered people. That's what he did constantly. And I believe it was absolutely critical to him living an effective life. Paul couldn't have been nearly effective without a community of people around him. And I believe that we as Christ followers cannot be nearly effective. We can be effective, but not nearly as, as effective. And I would argue to say that I don't even know if you can be effective, to be honest with you, if you do not surround yourself with other people. That's why life church. that's why this is such a big deal, what we do. That's why we believe that the local church is the hope of the world, because we can do so many things on our own, great, good, wonderful. But man... They pale in comparison to what we can do collectively when we surround ourselves with other Christ followers. And we need people who are going to call us out. I mean, Paul, who, man, if anybody, like, he, it seems like he had life figured out. I, I know that he wasn't perfect, but, man, this guy was devoted to the call of Christ. I mean, absolutely, whatever you need me to do, accomplish more in his life than I could ever dream of accomplishing. I mean, just an absolutely incredible, incredible life. But he had people in his life that he, was getting correction from from time to time and being encouraged by. One relationship in particular is a man named Barnabas. And when you read through scripture, he's mentioned several times, uh, Barnabas was an encourager to Paul. Barnabas was somebody that Paul could call (laughs) in the middle of the night, and he would encourage him. Do you have that type of person in your life? Do you have a Barnabas? I mean, we could preach a whole other sermon on the relationships that Paul had. I know for me personally, man, I, I don't know how I could do it without having some Barnabases in my life, and and sometimes it's somebody who's maybe a little bit further down the road than you. Uh, for me, I, there, there's several of those people, a um, couple of them in particular are my parents, to be quite honest with you, and there's there's many times I, I'm so fortunate to, that I grew up in a family that um, man, my parents are Christ followers. And uh, they're very, uh, just, man, they're, they're just more mature in their faith than I am. And a few weeks ago, I remember calling them because I just needed advice on something. I needed advice not so much as my parents, but I need advice as just people who are just further down the road. You've been through more stuff. You just, man, you get it a little bit more than I do. Just give me some advice. I, I want to know, am I seeing things clearly or not? And you need people that you've given permission to do that in your life. Do you have... Do you have people that you said, hey, hey, you know what? If I have a blind spot, if I have something I'm doing and you're seeing it in my life, would you please point it out? Do you have somebody like that in your life? And I I would encourage you probably for that to not just be your spouse. Um, I would encourage you to find somebody who you know, sometimes is gonna call it for what, I mean, I'm just telling you, sometimes in that relationship, that's a different type of relationship. But you need somebody, if you're a guy, I'd encourage you to have a guy who's further down the road than you that can be an encouragement to you, that you can call and say, hey, how would you handle this? What would you do in this scenario? We need that. Paul also had a different type of relationship. He had Timothy. And this is probably the most documented relationship that he had in Scripture. I mean, he mentions him all over the place. He mentions him here in this passage of Scripture. But Timothy was a guy that Paul was pouring into. The Bible says that they were, I mean, they were really good friends, but Timothy was somebody who was a little bit younger and, and, and needed some encouragement. Timothy was timid, and so he needed somebody like a strong personality like Paul to, to speak into his life. Um, we need to also have Timothys in our life. I'm just going to tell you, you might say, well, why? Why? You know, Shouldn't I just, I need people pouring into me. No, 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 I'm telling you, you need people that you're pouring your life into. You need people, and not just your kids, okay, that's kind of an easy one, but people that you're intentionally saying, I'm going to help you along, especially, man, maybe you've been a, a Christ follower for a long time, and you're, you're mature in your faith, and you might not think you are, but I'm telling you, you are, and it's time that you have a Timothy in your life, and I know there's a lot of people in this room that do that, do that actively. In fact, recently, we um, kind of started something somewhat unofficially, but we, um, in, in our men's ministry, uh, we try to team up. Paul's with Timothy's, so to speak. And people, guys who, man, they, they're mature in their faith, they're not perfect, they're flawed, all of that. I mean, we get it. You're, we're sinners saved by grace, we're all in the same boat. However, you've lived a little bit more life, you've gone through a few more things, and you can be a benefit to somebody who has not yet experienced certain things. There's a few guys in my life that that, that relationship has begun, and a couple of them, to be honest with you, are older than me. Um, and I've always viewed myself as a Timothy until the last year or so, to be honest with you, where I was like, I, I am a Timothy. I, how can I have a Timothy? I, I need Pauls, I need Barnabases, I, I need those types of people in my life, and God was just trying to get my attention, saying, no, 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 it's, you're not perfect, Don't you're not striving for, for perfection, but you have a lot to offer somebody else. And so that's something that I've begun to do in my own life, is having people in my life that I'm pouring into, that I'm encouraging, do you have that in your life? See, Paul started the church in Ephesus, and Pastor Aaron actually preached a sermon about this a few weeks ago that talked about this relationship between Paul and Timothy, uh, but this church in Ephesus was a church that was an excess, scholars say, of uh, 100,000 people. I mean, this was like a gigantic church, Paul started and then he raised up Timothy to go and lead the church in Ephesus. Paul could not have been as effective as he was without having Timothy's in his life that are hands and feet extended of him, of, of his efforts, ultimately of God, but of the efforts that he's put in to say, man, I'm going to pour my life into you so that you can go reach a generation. An effective life is it's a strategic life. It's a surrendered life, but it's definitely a surrounded life. The question for us today is, do we want to live an effective life? And I think we always say yes to that question, but do we really, do we really want to put in that kind of effort? Do we really want to be surrendered? I mean, I heard an illustration one time, I think I've said it before, but um, you know, being surrendered to God is kind of, it's not just, letting him be in the driver's seat of the car. It's letting him be in the driver's seat and then you going in the trunk so you can't, like, it's like saying, God, I'm not even going to tell you where to go. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm just going to be completely surrendered to you. I want to invite you today to live an effective life. And not, not a perfect life. Not a life without trials and difficult circumstances but a life that is incredibly rewarding, a life that is incredibly fruitful, and a life that is incredibly effective. There's a, there's a word picture found in Jeremiah chapter 17. I want to close with this scripture. But it really, I, I believe it, it, it gives a good picture of what an effective life looks like. And, and hear these words. It's a, it's a pretty awesome verse. Jeremiah chapter 17, starting in verse 7, it says, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is him you could almost say somebody who is surrendered to God they will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots into the stream it does not fear when he- heat comes its leaves are always green it has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit man that's the life I, that's the life i want to live I want to live a life that is effective.